Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 25, Broke. In this episode, Dunder Mifflin is hemorrhaging clients, the Michael Scott Paper Company has financial issues, and David Wallace gets called in. This episode's cold open kind of gives us a little bit of an insight as to what will be an issue later on in the episode. We see that Michael, Ryan, and Pam all get up very, very early so they can make their paper deliveries to their clients. Yes, as Ryan explains, they've been making 5 a.m. deliveries for a couple of weeks, and that's because as part of their promise to have these low prices and the fact that they're still sort of a fledgling company, they make all the deliveries. Pam does explain in this cold open that they did have to buy a van at a used car lot, and it does say Hallelujah Church of Scranton on the side in Korean. So sometimes it can get confusing uh, for potentially, I guess, members of the Korean church community in the Scranton area. But that's what they use to make all their deliveries, and it does appear as though Pam and Ryan do all the loading and unloading, and then Michael just sort of stands there. Uh, talking to the client in the one clip we get. But Michael does go around to Ryan and Pam's houses to pick them up. I don't know if then he drops, like he takes them home at the end of the day, Uh, but that's how it's working for the Michael Scott Paper Company for now. And many of these clients that the Michael Scott Paper Company is delivering to seem to be former Dunder Mifflin clients. We open the main part of this episode with Charles making an announcement to the office saying, who has the so-and-so account? And Jim's like, oh, yep, that's mine. And Charles is like, no, you did have it because they're going to the Michael Scott Paper Company. And this seems to be a trend. Apparently they have taken 10 clients from Dunder Mifflin in just the past month. So they are making a rather sizable dent in Dunder Mifflin's client list. And apparently these are large clients as well. Which is a little surprising given what we know about sometimes the volume of paper that the warehouse is moving to some of these major clients. Like that's a really big undertaking for the Michael Scott Paper Company. And Charles is frustrated. He says to the camera that he just doesn't know how to motivate people anymore and and that's in response to Stanley raising a legitimate point to Charles saying what do you want us to do besides you know work harder just sort of a general adage because they're undercutting us on price that's what it's coming down to and and Charles is like you're just gonna have to deal with it I don't want to hear excuses I would think that it would be easy for Dunder Mifflin to get past this because as we saw, the Michael Scott Paper Company is making deliveries in a van. And as you pointed out, 
Dunder Mifflin has an entire warehouse full of paper that they can hold. So the Michael Scott Paper Company can only deliver so many reams of paper at one time. And so your clients are probably having to constantly reorder like right. every two weeks or whatever because they can only get like three boxes of paper from right. at one delivery. And so Dunder Mifflin can easily just be like, okay, I know you're paying, you know, 11 just for, for numbers sake, $10 a box every two weeks. So you're, you know, you're looking at, you know, X number. Well, what if we said, all right, we're going to give you this price, which ends up being lower than the Michael Scott paper company price, but the box by box price is probably still a little bit higher. Right. And the entirety of the Michael Scott paper company, all three members are out making these deliveries. So if you're having high volume orders that they have to fulfill and maybe having to do in you know multiple runs, that's cutting into selling time. And so right. it's not a very sustainable model for the Michael Scott paper company. And this is said as much as we see that the Michael Scott Paper Company isn't doing so great either. Pam and Ryan raise the issue with Michael that they are tired of getting up super early just to make these deliveries. And they want Michael to hire a delivery person. And Michael kind of dances around the issue because... I think he knows that that is absolutely not feasible for their budget. Right. Also, he probably likes doing the deliveries That's and true. being with yeah. Pam and Ryan. But a delivery person is not going to be a cheap ask by any means, and it's going to be a continuing cost. So the Michael Scott Paper Company goes to visit an accountant. And the accountant delivers some pretty bad news saying you're going to be out of business in a month because you can't grow at the prices you're charging. Ryan pushes back on that and says, no, I ran this model myself. I used a fixed cost model. We should be fine. That's how we set our prices. Well, it turns out that Ryan is not the you know business wonderkin that he likes to pretend that he is. Which we knew. Right past history has indicated as much and Ryan used the wrong model which makes a ton of sense so the accountant says you need a variable price model because as you grow your expenses grow which makes a ton of sense that's the problem they're running into right now they're growing they're selling more paper now they're running into the issue that they need a delivery driver a delivery truck a delivery service whatever it is that they want to find which is going to be a, a great deal of expense because you have to imagine like that's a full-time, either it's a full-time job, they need a warehouse to store the paper. There's just now more expenses coming. They're going to need to get an actual delivery truck. Yes. And the accountant explains you, as your business grows, your costs will grow because you'll take on more employees and that's how you have to think of it. And you have to charge more in order to have this growth. And 
they're probably existing at extremely thin profit margins because their prices are so low. And Michael is saying, well, they're the lowest in town. Like that's what they pride themselves on. And the conclusion is their prices are driving them out of business. So at this point, the writing seems to be on the wall for the Michael Scott Paper Company. And Michael gets a little desperate. He tries calling clients that they just made deliveries to to ask for more money for those deliveries. So there was a price quoted to them. And now Michael wants to change the price after the fact, which obviously isn't going to work out. Yeah, not a great way to keep your new clients. Right. And Pam somehow is just now seeing the error of her ways in joining the Michael Scott Paper Company. She lays out this analogy of if a, you know, if if a kid gets into a car wreck and runs into a tree, you don't blame the kid because they don't know any better, but you can blame the person that got in the passenger seat and just let the child drive the car. Which, yeah, is a pretty fitting analogy considering she knowingly went along with Michael Scott on a new business venture. Yeah, it's hard to have a ton of sympathy for Pam given Michael's track record, what she knows about him. And she's been having these up and down moments about the Michael Scott paper company over the last couple episodes. So it has been a bit of time since the previous episode and like Charles said over the past month so maybe it's been a month and a half the Michael Scott paper company has stolen let's say 10 major Dunder Mifflin clients so Pam may have thought they've been riding high but I'm also extremely curious how much money that she had she pocketed you know in a salary over that month span Michael also recognizes that the writing is on the wall and Michael, Pam, and Ryan commiserate on just that they're pretty upset about this. Michael has a weird thing saying that he thought the saddest day of his life would be the day that Steve Martin died, but it turns out it's this day in which the company's going to die. Pam talks to Jim and just gives him the heads up that like, hey, we're going to be out of business. Basically, she's not going to have a job. But like I said, I'm not sure how much of like an income she's bringing in. Hopefully, Jim's making a lot of commission, but he's also losing his client base. So honestly, for Jim and Pam as a couple, this is not a great situation. Yeah, they now that I think about it, they're essentially living on one salary because the money that Jim would be making off of his commissions is probably just going to Pam. <laughs> yeah. And so it's the same money coming in, but just through two different people. Yeah, not it's it's never been a great setup for Jim and Pam, like personally as a couple. And and I'm not saying they're living the high life by any means, and Pam does say in the commiseration portion where her and Michael and Ryan are just depressed at their business prospects that Planning a wedding is really expensive, and she applied to get a second job on the weekends, and she didn't even get an interview at places like Target, Old Navy, and Walmart. So it also appears that they're paying for most of or all of their 
upcoming wedding, which we haven't heard. We talked about this maybe last time. We have not heard a lot about what this wedding is going to be. Right. Meanwhile, Dunder Mifflin is being forced to react to the inroads that the Michael Scott Paper Company has made into their client base. David Wallace comes to Scranton to kind of chat with Charles as to what their options are. And he first takes time to reassure the branch that they're going to do everything they can to make sure, you know, everything's okay. And so David and Charles get ready to have a meeting. And David wants to bring Jim in on the meeting because he has had positive interactions with Jim before. As we said before in a previous episode, it kind of gets lost in the plot line that Jim is actually the number two person in the office. And so it makes sense that David would want to call him in on this. As we know, Charles doesn't have the highest regard for Jim, and he wants to bring in Dwight because Dwight has kind of been his number two in this whole thing. And David is kind of surprised about this, but is like, all right, fine. So David, Charles, Jim, and Dwight have a meeting to figure out what to do about the Michael Scott Paper Company. I do love David's reaction because he's he's pretty even keeled. And that is the same way he has this reaction to Charles saying that he's been leaning on Dwight. He's just like, wow, I kind of find that surprising. Okay, bring them both in. <laughs> he knows, he knows Dwight. Yeah, yeah. and But it is kind of this weird thing in that, Yes, David knows Dwight and his personality, but Dwight's reputation speaks for itself in that he's the best salesman in all of Dunder Mifflin. And so it's not yeah. it shouldn't be that surprising that Charles has looked to Dwight for advice and things like that. And as he should, as we've said before, Dwight doesn't get enough respect for how good he is at sales because he's eccentric otherwise. That eccentricity comes through in this strategy meeting. We first see Jim make a suggestion, you know, hey, do you think corporate would go for an idea to give returning customers a temporary price discount? Dwight immediately disregards that as seeming weak. Charles agrees there. So then Dwight's counter idea is to fill Michael's office with bees. So not really helpful to the situation like Charles thought he was, you know, going to be, was going to come up with something. And so Charles and Dwight are like halfway there on the same wavelength. Charles does not like to appear weak. Dwight definitely doesn't like that idea as well. You know, they like shows of strength, but... The, the getting to that show of strength is where uh, Charles and Dwight will diverge. As this meeting continues, it is determined that pretty much the only option Dunder Mifflin has is to buy out the Michael Scott Paper Company. And so David asks Jim to go down and just kind of put some feelers out and see if that's something that the Michael Scott Paper Company would be interested in. And when he goes down there, Michael is so, so close to ruining all of this. Michael 
not just here, but as we will see here shortly, can't help but talk too much. And this is something we've seen all the time. He comes very, very close to telling Jim that they are broke and that they aren't even going to be a company in a month. And Jim sees where this is going and just keeps interrupting Michael and just like, I don't need to hear anything other than would you be interested in potentially talking a buyout? How do we feel about this? Because Jim knows this and he's definitely playing he's playing Dunder Mifflin. Like he's helping out Pam in a way, but again, he could be hurting his long-term career prospects because the company has to expend money to buy out the Michael Scott paper company. True. And I was going to say it's a win-win, but honestly, at this point, it's not. We don't know that. Yeah. Because Jim is going to be getting his clients back, presumably. Right. We assume that whoever had them, it's going to be reassigned to that client. Right. But Pam is out of a job. But as we said, it's essentially one income because Pam's loss of income is now replaced by Jim regaining the commission off of the clients he lost. Right. In any buyout situation offered by Dunder Mifflin to the Michael Scott Paper Company would presumably be split three ways after paying off any, you know, debts or expenses that they might have between Michael, Ryan, and Pam. Right. And so the Michael Scott Paper Company takes the meeting and on their way up to the conference, Michael is struggling with the fact that he won't be able to not say that they are broke. And yeah, that's a that's a pretty legitimate concern because like we said, Michael has a big mouth. He tends to say the things that he shouldn't say, but also I just think he doesn't like lying to people. Yeah, I think back to season two, The Secret, when Jim had confided in Michael on the booze cruise that he had a crush on Pam, and Michael was just absolutely bursting, and basically, not basically, he did tell the entire office. So that's the same situation he finds himself in, and yeah, like you said, he just is not good at playing his cards close to the vest. So the, no, so the negotiations begin, and Michael immediately rejects the first offer from Dunder Mifflin, even though he never heard the first offer. And he says that you always reject the first offer. So Michael is probably still getting tips from the negotiations Wikipedia site. And so he immediately asks for Dunder Mifflin's second offer. And David Wallace says... $12,000, which is probably a little low. Probably. And that's the thing. You never go with your the thing you're going to end up on. But David raises a lot of good points in supporting this $12,000 offer, saying he knows the market. He knows that their prices can't be sustainable. And so he thinks he just needs to wait them out. And it is here that we see Michael turn on good business, Michael. Very, very rarely do we see it. And he lays out the fact that 
David has a board to report to and that a shareholder meeting is coming up soon. And David's going to have to explain why his most profitable branch keeps losing clients. And so Michael says that he doesn't have to wait out Dunder Mifflin. He just has to wait out David Wallace. And this definitely strikes a nerve with David. I think David is definitely following along with what Michael says here. And there is probably some truth to what Michael has said. And so David's like, all right, I'll have to get board approval for this, but we could probably go up to 60,000. And so Michael asks for the room so he can talk it over with Pam and Ryan. And they are all very ecstatic about this offer. When David and Charles return to the conference room, Michael rejects the offer, much to the chagrin of Ryan and Pam. Right, because when they were talking, it seemed as though that's what they are going to accept. That, yep, that's fine. They're going to split it three ways. Presumably, they'll walk away with about 20000 You know, they shouldn't have a ton of debt coming in. And when Michael just flat out rejects it, Pam asks for another minute. It is at this point that Michael explains to Pam and Ryan that, sure, 60000 would be great, but we need money coming in all the time. So they need jobs. And so he is going to angle for a merger rather than a buyout. He wants jobs for himself, Pam, and Ryan. David is pretty hesitant at this. He says that Pam can't have a job because they already have a receptionist and Michael wants her to have a sales job. David also obviously relents at Ryan rejoining the company considering he cost Dunder Mifflin hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, there's no way that Ryan should ever be anywhere near consideration for a job at Dunder Mifflin. The thing is, Michael's job, there's still an opening for the regional manager. So he actually has an opening here. Because David sort of balks that this is a lot more than $60,000. we are talking salaries, benefits, you know, etc. here. But really, that slot's open. But it is a big ask for them to take on new salespeople, even if it is at a commission rate, because you are looking at benefits and payroll taxes, you know, et cetera, for a new employee. And while Pam does have some sales experience with the Michael Scott Paper Company, it's not exactly as though she was the one pulling in these clients. Well, Michael is talking over his rejection of the $60,000 offer with Pam and Jim. Dwight receives an interesting phone call from his former client, which is the woman that the Michael Scott Paper Company delivered paper to earlier in the episode that Michael then called to ask for more money. And this client is telling that to Dwight and saying, yep, leaving the Michael Scott paper company coming back to you probably because the price was comparable and why not Dwight is 
immediately piqued by this information, runs off to tell Charles, who's grabbing a cup of coffee. Jim has overheard the conversation Dwight was having and then follows Dwight in because Jim's trying to keep this buyout merger thing going in favor of the Michael Scott Paper Company for Pam's sake, we assume. And if they know for sure that they're broke and going to go out of business in a month, well, Dunder Mifflin doesn't have to expend any money on any sort of buyout or merger. So Jim follows Dwight into the kitchen as Dwight goes to tell Charles all this. And Dwight lays it out there that there's no way that the Michael Scott Paper Company is going to make it very much longer. They can wait them out. There's no need for this for this merger. And Jim's like, oh, well, good job, Dwight. You cracked the case. And Dwight continues to get distracted by this phrasing. And he's like, no, you don't crack a case. Whatever. And Jim knows he has him at this point. So Jim asks, okay, yeah, because you've, cra- you've cra- solved so many cases. What are your top five cases? And Dwight then explains the case of the beat bandit and Charles is standing here the entire time and Charles is already not happy with Dwight over his suggestion that they fill the Michael Scott paper company office with bees and this isn't helping things at all and so rather than act on Dwight's good advice Charles is dismissive because of how dumb Dwight is at times. And so after Michael pleads his case, David somewhat reluctantly accepts the Michael Scott Paper Company counter and gives back Michael, Pam, and Ryan their jobs. Which Ryan wasn't even working there prior to this. So that's this is just a way like because BJ Novak isn't leaving the show. Just a way to get BJ Novak back in the fold and so the former at this point michael scott paper company asks for the room again and they celebrate and after this we see michael kind of walking charles out of the office because one of the stipulations for the merger was that charles will not work at the dunder mifflin branch no, Michael wanted him fired from Dunder Mifflin, right. which David was like, no, he's going, he's still going to have the job as the Northeast manager that Jan and Ryan had uh, before. He just won't need to be at the Scranton branch every day because there will now be a regional manager there. So it's it's back to what it was before Michael quit can't imagine that that will be a healthy working environment considering Charles is still going to be Michael's boss. Exactly. Which we know Idris Elba is just as a guest star here so we don't ever really see that get carried out. Although Charles does try to address the office as he leaves for the day and Michael will not let him. He just basically tells him to go and sort of stands there and then puts his foot up on Jim's desk in this very celebratory pose. And that's how this episode closes out. 
So, let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. This episode was directed by Steve Carell. It's actually his directorial debut. And this episode was submitted for consideration um, for an Emmy nomination for Steve as the lead actor in a comedy, although he lost to Alec Baldwin for 30 Rock. And I think that was a common theme at the Emmys at this time, like 30 Rock sort of dominated at the Emmys, um, even though The Office was often nominated. Curtis, do we have anyone getting fired this episode? I know you think David gets fired here. Why is that? I put a question mark next to it, but I thought that David, there's definitely an argument to be made that David accepted and made these counteroffers without any input from the board, stockholders, legal department, anyone else in corporate, and that accepting the merger in which he brought back Michael and Ryan probably wouldn't go over very well. Yeah, so maybe not immediate. David might be on the hot seat here. It'll be kind of a wait and see how this plays out. And if it goes bad, it's definitely on his head. Yeah, I would say that. Otherwise, I don't think we have anyone else getting fired. We don't see Daryl. We haven't seen Daryl for a while. We haven't seen the minor characters for quite a bit during this time, you know, since the blood drive, the Valentine's Day episode, really. Because during this time of Michael leaving, starting his own paper company, it's been so heavily focused on just that storyline to where we didn't even see Meredith and Creed on camera. Oscar had a very brief shot um, and no one had really any lines besides one line for Phyllis and Stanley and a hello from Kevin. And Kelly. Right. What is your Dundee Award? The True Self Award goes to Dwight because it was just a matter of time before Dwight's like true personality came out to Charles and it comes out in just spectacular fashion in this episode where Dwight is really stuck on we should get some bees involved in this to yeah. to handle the Michael Scott paper company and talks about kidnapping and ransom at some at one point yeah. saying it's too bad that Michael doesn't have children, that's where you can really apply the pressure. Yeah. What is your Dundee? Uh, my Dundee is the Gotta Get Up, Gotta Get Going Award. Uh, and that's from the Winnie the Pooh theme song, if you've ever seen that cartoon series. And it goes to Michael because he's clearly a morning person. He uh, thrives on these 5 a.m. deliveries. And he likes to play jokes in the morning on Ryan, who is not happy to be up at 5 a.m. And also, Michael appears to drink a thermos full of milk and sugar. Not coffee with milk and sugar in it. Milk and sugar. I am not a coffee drinker because I think it's disgusting. And I feel like most people also think it's disgusting. Like, it's just one of those things that people are just like, oh, my God, coffee. I love it. I can't live without it. It's like, no, you don't actually like coffee because you put milk and sugar in it. Like, you make it taste good because it tastes terrible. 
Two things in response to that. First, I enjoy coffee. I just can't drink it anymore because it's so acidic. But if you get a really good coffee, I'm not talking about crap Starbucks. That is some of the worst coffee that people pay a lot of money for, in my opinion, because it has a very burnt flavoring to it. But you get a very smooth roast. You can drink that black or with just a touch of milk, no problem. And it tastes and smells delicious. But yes, coffee is very bitter and acidic. You have to roast it properly and you have to get the right roast for your taste. Second, a bit of a tangent. If you've ever seen the docu-series McMillions on HBO, it's really good if you haven't. But there was uh, just this scene where they're following uh, this couple and they go to McDonald's and they're ordering their coffee orders. And no joke, they both asked for 10 creams and 10 sugars in like a medium coffee, which at that point is exactly Curtis's point. You're not drinking coffee. It's a splash of coffee at that point. And let's be serious. McDonald's coffee is not going to be that high quality, you know, smooth roast. You're definitely going to need to probably put something in there uh but just don't get it at mcdonald's then unless you you know you can't avoid it i will say that i have had coffee like a cup a full cup of coffee and like not just uh i'm gonna taste this because it smells good and be like nope nope that's still that's still gross i've had cups of coffee twice in my life once when we were in japan yeah. And we had this like coarse tempura meal. And so it, I was just being polite at that point because they brought out coffee. Right. <laughs> and I got like the raw, I put raw sugar in it and I think a little bit of cream. And I was like, okay, this isn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Like it sweetened it up enough to where I was like, okay, I could do this. And then the other time was when we went to spiaggia in chicago for our anniversary had a very fancy dinner and again same thing i was just being polite it was part of a very nice meal you had to order something i so they were like (laughs) i got a french like they bring out the french press pot for you Mm -hmm. and again put raw sugar in there and i was like okay this is tolerable that was probably very high quality coffee yes it smelled delicious and at that same meal, I had, I ordered peppermint tea, and it was the best tea I have ever had in my life. Although the tea we had in Japan, in Tokyo, was also quite delicious. Mm-hmm. So, again, and not everyone, like, I drink tea every day. I am not getting, you know, high-quality, loose-leaf tea. I think I bought a $5 canister from Ivy, But, yeah, you get good stuff it's like olive oil you get good stuff you're gonna have that really robust flavor but michael's just skipping all that yeah when it comes to tea i agree with ted lasso and that (laughs) the british are absolutely just joking with all of us and this nobody actually likes it because it tastes bad that is a really fun like they weave that through that show really well because they don't hit you over the head with it but it comes up enough where he's like nope it's still bad but I bet the British are drinking, like, uh, it's probably not, you know, Twinning's tea bags. Like, it's probably just pretty good stuff. Yeah. Who was your employee of the month? 
I did struggle with this, but in the end, I chose the entirety of the Michael Scott Paper Company because they really did come out way ahead on this, particularly, like I we talked about a bit, but particularly Ryan, who is just a, not even a mediocre white guy, but like a failing white guy who has come up with like chance after chance after chance. And I, and it's just for purposes of the show, obviously, that they got to keep BJ Novak and the character of Ryan involved somehow. But they really came out, like I said, very much ahead with the help of Jim, with, you know, Dwight's sort of uh, eccentricity sabotage a bit, and came out with jobs. Now, we'll see that Pam is not a saleswoman. Ryan, I don't think, is in sales. He's doing some sort of, like he was previously, some sort of customer service thing. And Michael will be back as the regional manager. Who is your employee of the month? I just chose Michael for mostly the same reasons that you just laid out. But the scene of him in the conference room talking to David Wallace always sticks out to me because it is a very, like, just very well laid out. And Steve Carell does a great job of of delivering this. And it is it is very weird and this, like we have said, throughout the show, it's like it's almost a different character when Michael is all of a sudden competent Michael. Yeah. Like there's no jokes, there's nothing, and it's just serious and smart. And it's just so weird that they vacillate, they just go all over the place with his character from start at the very beginning when he was just an outright terrible person to what he is mostly now where he's just this dumb oaf that just kind of lucks his way through life. Pam gets taken by the competent Michael moments way too much. Like they're too few and far between, but she gets sold into them every single time. Absolutely. Before we wrap up this episode, I do want to say that this episode is full of some pretty good quotes, and one of them comes from Andy, and it's an exchange between Andy and Charles after Charles is really lamenting the fact that they've lost 10 clients, they need to push through this time and pull it together, and Andy says to Charles, well, I've been here less time, so I kind of think the bar should be lower for a newbie, which I'm not actually sure that's really true. He came from Stanford. We don't know how long he was at Stanford. I don't know if he means in the Scranton market, like what he's referring to there. And Charles is sort of just flabbergasted saying, are you sure you want to have said that? Andy's response is, no, but I think it's important that you know it. <laughs> and then there's a couple of Michael quotes um, where he is butchering uh, common adages and phrases during the negotiations and does it with a pretty straight face that leaves uh, David a little stunned. Most notably, my how the turntables. And then just and, and that, That's it. Yep. Yeah. So that does it for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. 
And continue listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.